Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Okay, not quite mornings with Carmen. I mean, yeah, it is her show. She's just not here. She's still on vacation. Saw pictures on her Facebook feed up in Canada, enjoying time with family up there. And, uh, ooh, so beautiful over by the Rocky Mountains. Ah, I'm Paul, her producer usually, but uh, host this week here on Mornings with Carmen. She'll be back in on Monday. Hopefully it's a nicer weather where she is because much of the central U.S. again today dealing with some extremely dangerous heat. Um, that includes basically a lot of our Faith Radio listening area. Forecasters say temperatures uh, Wednesday could surpass 100 degrees in oh, places like Dallas, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, Louisville, Nashville, I mean, yesterday, I mean, it's affecting all the way up here to central Minnesota and um, Twin Cities yesterday. We had a record high of 98 degrees. That was just the air temperature. The heat index was well into the hundreds. Uh, Sioux Falls hitting 101. Hopefully cooler. Actually, what I'm seeing is cooler weather by the weekend for hopefully most of us dealing with this heat blast, this heat dome, as it's called. Well, let's look at our Growing Your Faith verse for today. We just heard it a few moments ago. Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children in onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. It probably sounds vaguely familiar. Well, that is the New Living Translation. I'm more familiar with the ESV, which says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, yes, I get it. I'm I'm supposed to train my kids to know their Bible and theology and worldview, all that stuff like that. And if they know that, they will come to know Jesus, they'll come to faith, and all will be well. It's a promise, right? Okay, I'm going to challenge you on two assumptions here. The first, promise versus principle. The other has to do with the issue of scope. Let's deal with that first issue. The first issue is promise versus principle. I've known, and maybe you have too, many children who've grown up in loving Christian families. The families did a great job of modeling Christian faith and sharing the truth, and yet they still fell away. It happens. This passage is a proverb. It's a general principle. (laughs) It's not a a promise. But even as a general principle, I'm not trying to discourage you, no. The principle is still sound. Your your child, the more you build into them the truths of the gospel, you lovingly shepherd them, show them the ways of Christ, making sure they're in an environment of instruction and support that point people, that point them to Jesus, many of these children— will come to know the Lord. Now, some, yes, will fall away, and some only for a time. That's the, that's the part we got to remember. Sometimes kids, teenagers rebel, and they may fall away for a time, but then they come back. We're going to talk to somebody later this morning, hopefully, who is a really good illustration of that point. And remember what we've been commanded by God in many places, including if you go back to the statement in Deuteronomy 6, the famous 
Shema statement, our Shema. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Yes, we as parents, we need to live out our faith and repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when um, talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you go to bed and when you get up. Yes, out of love for both them and for God, we let our kids know. We let them know. Now, let's switch over to the second issue of scope. Oftentimes we think, okay, it's a Bible verse. It must be just talking about spiritual things. Remember, we're talking here about Proverbs. The book of Proverbs speaks also of many earthly realities. We're spending time in Proverbs 22 this week, much of this week, in our Growing Your Faith verses. And if you read the full chapter, yes, there's a lot of God-directed thoughts, but there are many earthly, basically human relationship issues as well. Directing or training our kids is one of those things we help them do. We want them to live wisely, skillfully in this life. Remember, we we don't raise kids. I know we say that. Yeah, I'm raising uh, three boys. and uh, No, you are raising adults. Children are already children. They're already kids. We want to raise them to be adults, adults who can stand on their own feet, serving God and others, raising families, being in the public square and marketplace, being that godly witness. That deals with a lot of practical issues, too, around relationships and around cultivating and caring for the world around them. There are also, as there's also as parents seeking to help our kids understand their giftedness, to see what God has put in them and help call that out, call it forth, shepherd those gifts in their lives. Again, the person we're going to talk to later this morning that I said was a good, good example of that first principle. He's also a good example of the second principle as well in his giftedness. But getting down to it again, our job is to shepherd our kids. Holy, completely. And that spiritually, yes, and also practically for the world, too. This is Mornings with Carmen, helping you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. I'm Paul filling in this week, and, you know, there are a lot of ideologies out there, a lot of isms. You know, you think, look at the world. You have capitalism, communism, you have populism, nationalism. You have all the, you have a lot in the church, too. I could go on a long list of those. But what if I told you that, say, you were a person who subscribes to progressivism, by doing that, you might not actually be progressing things well. What if I told you if you believed an ideological conservative, you've got to be careful. You may not really be conserving things. Okay, I, I, that may sound confusing. Hopefully our next discussion with Jeff Bilbro from the Front Porch Republic will help clarify this a bit. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in this week here on Faith Radio. Okay, have you ever played with your kids the game Topple? <laughs> I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. This is Faith Radio. You know Topple by Pressman. It's a game of balance. You have this funny-looking tabletop thing that is supported by a single leg in the middle. It, it, it's a balance thing. And you put your game pieces on the table trying not to, well, topple the thing. You know, we do that in so many areas of our life. We put too much weight in one place, in one idea, in one ideology, and all of a sudden, boom, the table topples, right? Ever? We have Jeff Bilbro with us now from Front Porch Republic. Have you ever played topple, Jeff? 
I haven't, but uh, I can see where you're going here, Bald. Great, <laughs> great uh, illustration. <laughs> I, I, that's what came to mind when I was reading the yeah. article you shared. Again, uh, Jeff, every weekend, it comes out on Saturdays, almost every weekend, puts out what he calls the water dipper. It's kind of an aggregation of different articles that you found and others that just kind of uh, others share with you. I, as a matter of fact, I shared with you one last night you might want to check out. But um, anyway, this one you shared about a man I've never heard of before, Peter Virick. He is um, – I'll, I'll let you set it up. I'll let you set it up. Tell us about him and his understanding of what people would might call conservatism. Sure. Yeah, this, this – uh, you know, he's a kind of um... – an unknown figure among American conservatives in large part because his vision of conservatism, although he would not like that. He word, would not. Uh, uh, was not the one that won out uh, in the sort of movement conservatism, but uh, he was writing in the uh, World War II post-war years and he advocated for um, a, a sort of conservative attitude that eschews, as you put it, you know, any kind of ideology. And in fact, he, he says it's just basically the practical outworking of uh, a conviction in original sin. If you mm. recognize that humans are fallen, we're going to get things wrong. We shouldn't put our confidence in any intellectual or political or economic system. And we should, yeah, try to, to, be discerning and wise and thoughtful and cautious, but um, but not become overconfident in some system. So he was particularly, um, I guess, skeptical of sort of the unfettered free market that gained sway in the 1940s and 50s um, among American conservatives. Yeah. It's not that he wasn't uh, against free market, but right. again, it, the issue was he something a communist. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, he just thought that we needed to recognize that the goal here is thriving human communities and markets can serve those, but but taken to an extreme, taken in isolation, they can also erode um, healthy, harmonious human communities. Well, explain that part when something like, you know, free market becomes capitalism, it, it right. becomes that ism. Right. How is that undercutting other areas? Yeah, I mean, I think the other really incisive thinker uh, on this is Christopher Lash, who wrote about this as well. Um, but when the market becomes the god, the idol, then we uh, judge all things by, you know, is this profitable for this corporation? Can this, you know, is this going to make my stock rise in the market today? And any kind of long-term notions of health, any consideration of, you know, what's good for um, my employees, what's good for the rest of creation, uh, those by necessity can't be considered because the only value, the only metric is, uh, is my, my stock market, my stock price going to go up or down. So that's kind of the point because you're looking at one thing in isolation, yeah, the financial and families, communities, stuff like that kind of get pushed by the wayside. Right. And as you put it, you know, this is not that neither, neither Lash nor Virick are against free markets, right? They don't want a lot of regulations or uh, they're not socialists, but they uh, want to 
recognize that markets ought to serve other goods. They're not a final good in and of themselves. Well, now let's take this into the realm of okay, the from a biblical standpoint, from your mind, you know, from a biblical mindset, what would, and I know you have that. So when you read Virick, what jumps out at you from a biblical standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think he's one thing uh, is his realism about the human condition and our fallen nature and a need to construct um, political institutions that take that into account. Uh, and the other thing, you know, the the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, have really complicated economic visions, right? In the Old Testament, you have this system of uh, of land that is given to families uh, that can't be sold permanently with, with the Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a kind of distributed property system. And uh, Christ's economic teachings are quite... Um, extreme and radical also. So I, I think uh, it's helpful as Christians to not get too tied to some um, yeah, economic-ism and take that as the gospel, but but rather uh, hold to the gospel first and foremost, and then uh, try to be discerning about which economic principles we, we uh, follow and seek to promote. Okay. I, again, I would refer people to the Water Dipper. This actually was a couple of weeks ago that the article about Peter Virick is there. It is a very interesting read. Okay. What are what do some of the best places to live in America have in common? We're going to talk about that next as we continue here on Faith Radio. Again, uh, Jeff Bilbro is my guest. I'm Paul. Thanks again for listening. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. You know, I see a lot of surveys on and off. I get them in my emails, you know, best places to raise your family, best this, you know, best city for this, best city for that, best city for, you know, professional sports. Anyway, what are some of the best cities to live in? I saw a recent survey that pointed the two top major metros were Boston and Dallas. I'm kind of going, wait a minute, there's a lot of good places to live. If you're looking at smaller metros, I've really enjoyed living in Fargo. I'm Paul. And this is uh, this is today, <laughs> Mornings with Carmen. There we go. I'm a little tired, Jeff. I, I, I didn't sleep well last night, so I'm a little scatterbrained. Wow. So. But this I did, again, another great article that you shared at the Water Dipper about some of the best places in America, where they, what they have in common. Now, give us some background on this because it comes out of a book. Yeah, this is a report, a sort of summary in The Atlantic, uh, that's uh, distilled from this book, The Injustice of Place, Uncovering the Legacy of Poverty in America. And these um, sociologists and uh, economists went through, did a bunch of um, digging, 
and economic data in America and tried to figure out, okay, where are the poorest places, um, places where not just sort of um, economic poverty, but, but social um, challenges and where are the places where people are really thriving. And what's interesting is that uh, where you are, the upper Midwest is uh, among the sort of where the, where the bulk of the good places tend to be. <laughs> and well, that's why I live that, here, my friend. That's right. <laughs> They say that in part it's because um, inequality is relatively low. You know, there's there's not a lot of extreme wealth or extreme poverty. Um, a lot of people can own property, so land ownership is high. Uh, there's high social trust; people know each other, and it, and you know, they trace it back in part to its history um, versus the kind of uh, exploitative history of other places where mining or um, kind of extractive industries were prevalent. Mm, that yeah. wasn't never the case in the upper Midwest. No, that never was. It was very much a farming community, a lot of yeah. uh, individual, you know, small farms and like that, uh, as well as small businesses. Now, let's back up a little bit from there because part of the article that jumped out at me was how the people who wrote the book that this article was reviewing um, were focused on not poverty per se because they didn't think poverty was a sufficient um, determiner of what is a good place or a bad place. Explain what they saw as something, why poverty wasn't enough and what they saw yeah. as more of the issue here. Yeah, they have this index of, of deep disadvantage. They kind of make their own metric system to try to quantify, you know, what in many ways I would say can't be quantified, but uh, try to quantify uh, where it is that people that people struggle. So part of it is income. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is health. So they look at things like birth weight, life expectancy, uh, and also uh, social mobility. You know, how easy is it for children to um, to thrive, even if they come from uh, low-income families? So, yeah, I don't know exactly all the metrics that went into this, but it, it, it sort of reveals an interesting snapshot, I guess, of American geography. And I guess the word that jumped out to me was disadvantage. Yeah. And, and that kind of – okay, we were talking a little bit ago with about the discussion with Peter Virick, and you mentioned like in the Old Testament because it was more of an agricultural setting. And one of the things that God wrote in the law was that the transfer of land wasn't supposed to be long-term. It was supposed to be temporary because the way they set it up, there was the broad distribution of the – agricultural lands to a large number of families. It wasn't held together by a handful, as you were talking about in those situations where there was an extractive business, you know, they're doing mining, and then when the mine leaves, the people are just kind of, now what do I do? No, and right. they're, they're disadvantaged. They, they don't have their own productive means. Yeah, I think that's right. So some of the places that struggle the most are places where the, the vast number of people didn't have access to owning um, some productive properties and means of production and wh- where those are more distributed and more people have access to them, then, um, then there is not that kind of ingrained inbuilt disadvantage. I see a lot of, uh, ministries right now that are focused on human flourishing. And part of that is, you know, m- making sure every, all the people who are involved, who have stakeholder, you know, have stakes in a community, have voice, have you know, ability to help each other. 
in that way as well as help themselves. It's again, it, it's it's kind of a more of a decentralizing of of yeah. things, and it, it's great to see that as ministries that are that are thinking in that holistic sense, not just the spiritual but also the practical. And again, there's so much that we can derive from Scripture that points to this as well. Yeah, I think you're right. There is a lot of um, kind of missional business that churches are either supporting directly or partnering with. And that's, I think, an encouraging development, trying to help people think about how their faith should change, not just what they do on Sunday morning, but how it might uh, yeah, reshape the fabric of their communities and of their economic lives, too. Okay. We've got just a couple of moments left here. We're talking with uh, Jeff Bilbro from... Um, well, he's from Grove City College, and also he's one of the editors at the website Front Porch Republic, and he has a weekly blog called The Water Dipper, where he shares a lot of these interesting articles that just kind of get your, I know for me, just get my uh, brain juices going here. Can you quickly summarize one that you had about an America of secrets? Yeah, this is a really fascinating series of essays that uh, John Escanos is writing over at New Atlantis, and this was his, his latest one. And, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to explore and understand the breakdown of public discourse in America, why we can't agree on any sort of shared set of facts or narratives. And this essay is really about the ways that the growth of um, the government secret intelligence has made conspiracy theories plausible. Mm. <laughs> you know, when you have an a increasingly large uh, sec, su- subsection of the government that um, is conducting business that people don't know about and gathering intelligence, then uh, speculation runs rampant. So, you know, he's saying, look, conspiracy theories are just the fruit of this large of secrecy. Um, yeah, of, of secrecy. And if we have, uh, if we try to keep secrets, we're just going to fuel this continued distrust amongst all sides. I think this goes beyond government. <laughs> yeah, exactly. to be honest, That's just but... a sort of main example, but you're right. Yeah, any, yeah. any institution, any church, if you try to have uh, secrets and kind of inside information, you're going to fuel mistrust. Yeah, yeah, so true. Hey, Jeff, thanks again for joining us, as you do every couple of weeks here on uh, Mornings with Carmen. Carmen will be back with you next time, but again, always great to... Uh, just to pick your brain. You, you, you get such, such good stuff. Such good stuff. Well, thank you, Paul. It's always good to chat. Yeah. This is Faith Radio. The one thing I like about the churches, we're already deployed. So when things happen, we can act and react for our neighbors well. I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen. I mean, we, we see it right now. It's happening in places like Maui. It, it's happening in, well, some of the wildfires that have been happening uh, in places in Canada. We think about when the hurricanes hit, like it did, was it last year or the year before down in Florida, and churches were mobilized to help out. Well, right now, they're getting mobilized. They are mobilized on the Canary Islands in a place called Tenerife. It's one of the islands of the Canary Islands. There was an uncontrolled forest fire that devastated about 15,000 hectares of that island. That's a good chunk of the island got burned and declared a disaster area. But again, I'm reading about a pastor 
at First Baptist Church of uh, Tenerife, who is also the Secretary General of the Evangelical Council of the Canary Islands. His name is Samuel Amador. And yes, he speaks of the frustration, how the Canary Islanders love their island, they respect their native vegetation, and some of it may be gone. But they are there right now because thousands of people have been displaced. Thankfully, at this point, no church buildings have been affected, which is good because then those faith communities can do their part in reaching out and helping their neighbors. Christians working to provide for both physical and spiritual help, and especially during times like this. Well, up next here on Faith Radio on uh, Mornings with Carmen, talking with Ruth Kramer, as we do, from Mission Network News. We'll look at what's happening around the globe, how our brothers and sisters are serving their neighbors, suffering in many cases for the Savior they love, and also persevering. They are an example to us we, we so need to follow. This is Faith Radio. As we seek to serve God in our age and persevere amid our struggles, it's helpful to get a good look at things historically. How has how have our brothers and sisters through the centuries stood up for Christ and persevered? And it also is helpful to look across the ocean right now and see how our brothers and sisters right now are persevering. I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen and Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. It's more than just missions. It really is a it is a celebration. And also a prayer time, if you've been at the website, of of what God is doing in the world and, again, how his people persevere, sometimes in very difficult circumstances. Ruth, thank you again uh, for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for the invite. It it really means a lot. Yeah. uh, Again, our brothers and sisters overseas, they're amazing. And oftentimes we close our eyes, and I, I love the fact that we use, you give us a glimpse. You peel back the veil and help us see what's happening in real time, in real life, uh, in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And so as as we do, let's look at some of the stuff you guys are covering right now. And uh, India is right now. And the uh, Manipur region of India in particular has uh, has really been an area where Christians are having to persevere in very difficult situations. Let us know what's going on. You know, I think that believers who are in Manipur are wondering about the silence that has greeted the situation that they're facing right now. Um, it's been a conflagration essentially since May, and uh, very little has been done to come alongside and stop the violence. It is basically an ethnic cleansing, according to some of our partners, like Bibles for the World. Um, they actually, their ministry started in Manipur State, so they are very familiar with um, uh, the dynamics of what happens in that in that area. Um, there's been a lot of ethnic tension between two people groups, two tribes. One is the Mete and the other is the Kuki. And uh, this all came to a head when uh, special benefits that were afforded to the Kuki were also extended to the Mete. And that's what actually started, um, the, basically sparked what's been happening since then. Um, you're talking about thousands, tens of thousands of people who've been displaced as a result of these uh, these riots and the continuing violence. And I think what's puzzling is that the federal government in India has had a very lackluster response. In fact, Prime Minister Narendra Modi didn't address it at all mm. uh, for weeks. And then um, because there was a point where he was forced to say something, he just kind of mentioned the, the the state and then left it there. And because nothing was really being done to come alongside and, and try to restore the peace on the ground, um, there was a 
parliamentary vote in their last session. So that was like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, parliamentary vote, uh, a no confidence vote that took place. And um, unfortunately, Modi's government is strong enough that it de easily defeated the no confidence vote. However, the motion provided an opportunity to bring to light the lack of response to the violence in Manipur and to try to force the prime minister and the home minister to address it. Um, it's just one of those things that you just scratch your head and you go, how is this something that you can ignore so blatantly um, where you have essentially an ethnic cleansing? Um, mm -hmm. You know, Bibles for the World has been saying it's it's been disappointing and astonishing to see the state turn against its own residents um, to kind of get behind what amounts to the ethnic cleansing. Um, it's affected a lot of ministries on the ground there. Like I said, Bibles for the World has a long history in that state. And so they have a lot of different um, ministry points there. And because of what is happening and has been happening since May, it's basically shut everything that they've been able to do down because of the safety concerns. So they have um, they have schools, they have seminaries, yeah. they have you know preaching points and things like that. None of that stuff is in operation. The only thing they have right now that is still operating is a hospital um, because their hospital is one of the few that's still open and they're treating people who have been injured in the clashes between um, the protesters and, um, well, essentially the protesters. The counter-protesters, yeah. Yeah, they've ha they ha there have been police sent to the region to try to to quell the situation, but it really hasn't been very effective. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the things that we're hearing um, in terms of what can we do, um, a lot of it is be praying, you know, ask that uh, that the peace be restored to Manipur, even though uh, Narendra Modi has come out and said, you know, peace has been restored to the region. And he's he's touting the fact that he is in control of all of this. The reality on the ground is it's not over. There are still daily attacks and a lot of them, and they're very violent. Um, and so he's just trying to gloss over what is actually happening. That's especially true now because he, India is hosting the G20 summit, and um, they want to put a shiny face on everything and, and kind of cover up what's been going on in Manipur State. So this is the time for people to speak out, to try to, to draw the attention to this situation where the government has not been uh, basically fulfilling its, its responsibility. For law and for law and order in this area, also be praying for the ministries that are there because obviously this has been a situation that has been taxing either uh, in response, like un unexpected response to the needs that are happening there, or that they've been shut down because they can't safely respond to it. Um, we have another partner that's sending a sea container full of repurposed Bibles and Christian books because um, their partner in Manipur is not he's he's requesting. Um, the word of God. Mm -hmm. you know, he said, our partner there says, they're not asking for money. They're not asking for food. They're not asking for water. They are specifically asking for the word of God. Mm. So, you know, in response to this, this ministry based in the U.S. has created a, a shipment that is loaded a sea container and they're sending it out on faith. Um, they're still raising the money to cover the costs of that. You know, so any help you can give to that, they're appreciative of that. Um, but this is just one of those things where when you realize what is happening here and people are uh, displaced and people are afraid um, that they would be requesting the word of God because it offers the hope that they they are searching for. Mm -hmm. um, that's just yeah. it's it's like a mandate. Yeah. You're talking about the, the people who are shipping the Bibles and other Christian literature. That's mission cry, right? 
That's Mission Cry. Right. Yep. I love the fact on your website as you report these articles and you're talking about the various uh, churches and ministries and missions groups that are involved, you usually have their contact information. So if, if you'd like to help Mission Cry get the, this these Bibles and other literature over there, you can go right to missionnews.org and uh, look up for Mission Cry and you'll be able to connect with them. But um, Ruth, I'm, I'm wondering, could you actually lead us in prayer for the for the situation in Manipur, for the especially for our brothers who are mainly they're, they're the Kuki tribe, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Could you lead us in prayer for them? Lord, we are coming before you and offering um, an open surrender of the things that we want to be in control, control of, and we ask that you make your name central in a situation where we have no control over it. Um, We've heard these terrible things that are happening to people in Manipur State. We've heard how they're affecting churches and pastors and Christians and how there's fear right now that's permeating everything. And we're asking you to send the Holy Spirit to give them a sense of peace, a sense of purpose, that uh, they will speak boldly regardless of what is happening around there, and that we will see uh, an explosion of, of new believers and churches that will be able to disciple them, that these brothers and sisters will be able to speak truth and hope and peace into a difficult situation, that you would provide the needs for the needs for Mission Cry to get their container into the country so that it can get into the hands of people. Um, Lord, we're just asking you to do something impossible in a situation that seems so far away and so remote. Um, may May you use the offerings that we sacrifice uh, in your name to your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. While you're praying, the thought came to me. Here, here are these Christians, and they're, they're running this clinic as well, this medical facility. May they um, love well even those who are hurting them in the midst of all this. So, hey, Ruth, thanks again I mean, for helping us understand this. Now, just, you know, tomorrow here on Faith Radio, I hope to be talking with a woman who, uh, she's in a different part of India, and uh, saw an article that she did um, about raising kids in their, in their culture and how she and her husband are doing what they can to, well, making sure they understand grace are also understanding how they can love their, their neighbor well, who is not a Christian and and still hold true to their convictions, too. So that's going to be hopefully a good discussion. That'll be tomorrow. Uh, when we come back, Ruth, I want to have a switch over to talk about Pakistan because, and I mentioned this earlier this week, there's been more violence there against Christians, and we want to hear they're standing up. We want to hear... We want to hear we have to report on that. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever wondered where God is when you feel like you need him most? Do you recognize that he's closer than your next breath? Are you confident in that? Do you trust in that? Susie Larson has a brand new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? And we're giving away 100 copies of it this month. So we want you to win yours at MyFaithRadio.com. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing like living in the fullness of the presence of God moment by moment. No matter what is going on, you can live as a person who is content in the presence of God. God is literally with you always, closer than your next breath, and we want you to experience that. So grab a copy of Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can sign up to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. 
It's it's sad how a rumor can spread to a riot. It happens too often. It's happening now in Pakistan. I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen. Carmen's on vacation. Uh, but still joining us, not on vacation, is Ruth Kramer. Thank you, Ruth, for joining us and keeping us informed through Mission Network News about our brothers and sisters overseas and how they continue to persevere and Let's, let's travel, as it were, to Pakistan, where, as I mentioned earlier this week, uh, there's, there's violence due to a rumor. Well, I think this situation um, highlights how dangerous the blasphemy laws are in the country, because mm-hmm. this whole thing came about as a blasphemy accusation. Um, it, we're talking about a mob that formed very quickly in the Punjab province of Pakistan. It's actually one of the third largest cities in Pakistan um, in Faisalabad. And uh, someone saw a picture of a burnt Quran page and sparked a situation um, where it led to a mob that attacked a Christian neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, the The quickness of this mob <clears throat> was, I think, what was startling because nobody had advanced warning about what was going to happen or uh, why it was going to happen this way. It was a false accusation um, in this situation. Uh, and on the other end of the immediate violence was 32 churches had been burnt, um, dozens of homes in a Christian neighborhood, and tens of thousands of people who are actually on the run. Uh, they're sleeping out in the rough because they're afraid to go back home. I think what is more concerning is that the, there was a rumor that is kind of circulating uh, throughout ministry points that uh, other Muslims are planning similar attacks in other cities. Um, and so it's not over. And it does stem from this one thing, on a, an accusation under the blasphemy laws. So right now, um, the police have arrested, I think, 150 people-ish who've been connected to the mob. And they've also deployed police. There are 6,000 units, 6,000 police officers who are trying to keep the peace in this area, but it keeps sparking, it keeps popping up here and there where you have hot spots of of violence. And um, it continues on. Uh, the government is trying to get the, get a head up, heads up on it, but it is very difficult to quell because there's a lot of religious fervor that's behind it. Um, again, this is a situation that highlights how the blasphemy laws are being used against the minority pe- uh, people groups in Pakistan and how dangerous it is because in the course of uh, a day, you had things that were um, essentially had gone from a normal working day to thousands of people on the run because their homes had been burned, people had been attacked, uh, people had been beaten, and churches had been completely destroyed because the tar- the, the the mob targeted specific areas. They targeted churches, they targeted pastors' homes, and they Mm -hmm. targeted businesses that they knew were uh, run by Christians. Um, And so this is the the situation that we we are facing here. Um, World Mission and FMI, both of our partners uh, who have boots on the ground in Pakistan, are asking us to continue to join them in prayer. Um, There are organizations who are on the ground who are helping those recover from the tragedy. Um, the survivors. There's uh, ministries that are working with some of the trauma counseling and basically resupplying basic needs, you know, uh, food, shelter, um, clothing. In some cases, the families flood with what they were wearing. And so they're starting over again because their homes have been destroyed. Um, This is something I think what is surprising that really didn't get traction in terms of international coverage. 
Um, there were a few stories that were out there, but by the time the regular media picked up on it, it had been happening already for a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just stay on top of some of this stuff, yeah. um, connect with it, yeah. and it's it's just something to be praying about. I don't know if you know this or not, or, or, or it's even known, but that photo that sparked a riot, anybody know mm-hmm. where it came from? Just a stock photo or something? Or I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I, I guess the reason I, I asked that is... Okay, I've been following a lot of news out of Europe, and there's been, like, the Netherlands. There was a person who was tearing a Quran up and had did a public mm-hmm. display of that, and there's been similar things in some other countries. And I, I know stuff like this is used as propaganda in parts of the Middle East. Um, it, and so, anyway, it, it, it's speculation on my part, I admit. But sometimes it's like, you know, in support of our brothers and sisters, some. I know we have the right to free speech, but it also a little discernment might be helpful because brothers and sisters are suffering right now. That, that's, again, just my speculation. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that. It's just a little speculation on my part. Anyway, in areas, Yeah, in areas like that, though, you, we have to be especially wise about things that we share on social media because mm-hmm. of this, the consequences like this. Exactly. Let's turn our attention now to Zimbabwe. It's something you shared with me yesterday because they have a presidential election going on today, right? Yeah, their general elections are today. Okay, their general election. And, okay, you shared an article about how the leading candidate, the president of Zimbabwe, and I'll let you pronounce his name because I forgot it already, but (sighs) something he said just checked both our hearts. Yeah. Oh, well, he was speaking out of the enthusiasm of a political campaign, but it did catch my eye. Yeah. Um, it, it's something where <laughs> he basically said, if you voted for his party, you would go to heaven. Um, he said, local councils have failed to run towns and cities. If you vote Zano PF team, you will all go to heaven. And Zano PF is, is his party. Um, and so you look at that and you're thinking, uh, Seriously, you know, is that something that he actually means or is he just, you know, using metaphors or something like that? Um, Because he's been trying to buy votes in the whole run up to the election. He's been trying to buy votes. He's been canvassing, giving away T-shirts, free meals, loaves of bread, all night concerts, all of this stuff that are basically considered extra luxuries because Zimbabwe has been grappling with high inflation and poverty and all of this other stuff. So that's basically an attempt to buy votes. Um, but what it brings to mind is uh, the these false claims by so many heads of state um, or just so many leaders that uh, that take liberties like this. Um, you know, prosperity gospel is a huge problem in some of these areas. And mm-hmm. and that's why we talked to one of our partners is because it reminds us of, you know, the claims that were being made by this, the death cult leader in Kenya. He basically said, if you do what I say uh, and you starve yourself, you will go to heaven when you die. And, you know, as a result, you have a couple of dozen people, women and children who starved themselves to death and likely because they were following the wrong leader, you know, he can't fulfill that promise. Um, and so it's more important than ever that the uh, ministries, the, the church pastors that are down there are uh, well-grounded in the word of God and that they're preaching the word of God mm-hmm. so that people can recognize what is true and what isn't true. 
And that's the, that's the takeaway on this thing, because um, as we spoke to our partner, Christian World Outreach, he's saying this is just kind of falling into one of the bigger problems that's facing the body of Christ in Zimbabwe, and that is false teachers. Um, so they're, they're, they have been doubling down on making sure that their church leaders, that the networks that they have in place, ministry points and things like that, that they're grounded in the word of God so they can recognize their shepherd's voice. Mm. So good. Um, one more. I mean, since we have time, and I, I mentioned this earlier about how Christians are responding to the situations, even here in the U.S. in Maui, with the, with the fires that happened over in um, over in Hawaii and on the island of Maui, and a lot of times we focus on the big stuff. And I love that one of your ministry partners is focused, and if we, we have like a minute to talk about this, but how they are. They're thinking about the children in this situation. Yeah, that's uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship. Um, and their response has been to send one of the the tools that they have to help kids process trauma. And uh, it's, it's a pamphlet that they're sending out uh, through the CEF clubs. Um, uh, and I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name of the plant pamphlet right now, um, but it's something where it helps kids process trauma through a uh, biblical worldview mm. and it points them to Christ. It uses scripture to bring comfort and healing and peace to the hearts of kids who've been really traumatized um, on different parts of the island that were not as badly affected. School is starting. Uh, actually, school started last week, yeah. and um, so the, the teachers are are kind of being prepped to just be a, a another safe place yeah. for children to process what they've seen, what they've been through. There are a lot of displaced people. Yeah. Um, churches have been opening their doors to kind of take in people, but they're, the, the churches, while they are opening their doors, they're almost not as needed because the families, people on the ground in this in this on this island are very community related. And when they see someone that has lost everything, they open their doors and they're saying, come and stay with us, break mm. bread with us. We will take care of you until you can get your feet on the ground again. Um, and so what you're seeing is community response, meeting some of the needs and working with people um, as as long as, as well as some of the ministries that are coming alongside. Sounds good. Hey, uh, again, if you want to read more about this and read a bunch more about a lot of what we've talked about, go to missionnews.org. Again, Ruth, thanks for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. All right. This is Faith Radio. Okay, I'm generally not afraid of heights, but this one probably would do it to me. Uh, back to Pakistan. The Pakistani military had to rescue eight people yesterday that were trapped in a cable car hanging 900 feet in the air by a single cable for over 15 hours. The group comprised six children and two adults, many who are traveling to a school in a remote mountainous area. It took a while because of the high winds, but think about this. Approximately 150 kids used this private cable car privately owned cable card to get to school every day to cross the ravine. Uh, Okay, I'm okay with my school buses here in the U.S. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in. Remember, the podcast will be up later at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you get your podcast. And hey, remember, share the podcast. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.